Hello, everyone. We are back with another episode of the Soccer Dad Pod. You'll notice that we're coming in cold because um, I'm all by myself in my wife's office slash laundry room slash Zoom central. Um, I don't have any carpool co-hosts with me today because I've got a couple of guests that are Zoom and it's daytime and those guys have real jobs. So I'm solo today, but I'm really excited because I've got a couple of guests here that are going to really kind of uh, uh, shed a little bit of light on uh, a, a, a critical component in the St. Louis soccer scene, the history that have been extremely close to uh, the backbone of what we all experience know to be uh, our soccer community. And they're going to be joining me in just a second here. I wanted to recap our last show real quick. We had Mr. Kev- Kevin Kalish on, SLU University head coach. Um, he's been there. This is year four, I believe. Uh, he's just on a tear, really kind of starting to dominate, uh, take control in the Atlantic 10. And he talked about, more importantly, not, not necessarily results, but he talked about the process. So if you're interested in hearing what Coach Kalish had to say about the type of player, the type of mentality that they look for in the recruiting process and in the team building process, it's a great conversation. Check that out. Um, we continue to grow. Uh, for some reason, you guys keep tuning in and more people find it. Um, had a bartender the other day at Urban Chestnut who has no children. He's not a soccer dad. That indicated that he's a huge fan of the show, so much so that he sent the link to his dad who lives in England, which happens to be the one red dot on our metric sheet somewhere north in England. I'm like, who the hell is that? Well, now I know. So so that's cool. It keeps spreading. Give us a follow if you don't mind. And reviews are great. You know, even even the one-star stuff, it's still out there, you know, because nobody really believes one-star reviews in any industry anyway. You're usually that person. So go ahead and be that person. All good. Um, so without further ado, what I'd like to do is go ahead and do what we do on the show when we intro a guest. We have walk-up music, theme music, and given the relationship between the two people today, I thought this was extremely appropriate. So here we go. All right. And they're bouncing. We got a little sly in the family stone. Uh, obviously, everybody knows the song based on the chorus right out of the gate. Family Affair from Sly and the Family Stone. We have with us today Miss Julie Softner and Louis Softner, St. Louisans. Well, used to be St. Louisan on half of you guys, right? <laughs> Louis, you're not in St. Louis right now, but St. Louis is home, right? That's absolutely correct. Awesome. Well, guys, thank you for joining me today. Uh, thanks for stomaching the intro. And um, here we are. Um, Julie, how are you doing today? It's so good to see you. Thanks good. for having us on. I'm doing great. Good. Louie, how about you? You're, uh, you're out east, right? I'm doing well, yes. Yeah. So St. Louis is home home, but current home is in Charleston, South Carolina. Right on. Uh, so I'm assuming the weather is probably comparable to us, right? Uh, comparable, sure. Maybe 30 degrees uh, warmer, but <laughs> okay. So you can go. You can go pound sand. Yeah, that's too. That's, you know, it's it's not that nice here. So uh, for those of you that don't know, and you're getting introduced to the two of these individuals, um, Julie Softner uh, grew up. You are a North County girl, correct? 
I am. No and co for show. No co for show. It, it's uh, it's kind of getting, uh, it's like a Ferris wheel on this show. The people from North County just keep on popping up at the gate. It's kind of crazy. Um, tell everybody, t- tell everybody uh, you know, who, who are, who is Julie? Uh, you're from NOCO and, you know, just out of the gate, let's go way back in time to your introduction to the St. Louis soccer scene and you talk a little bit about your dad. I love it. Oh my gosh. Well, I actually thought about how I'm going to have to keep it together, especially if we're going to start talking about the famous Jimmy Scott, um, so you introduced me with my son as softeners. We are proud softeners. But when you say who is Julie to the soccer scene, yeah. I am actually Julie Scott. And my dad, Jim Scott, is the founder of Scott Gallagher Soccer Club. Some of the most formative years of my life, when you think back to the 1970s and what was happening in the St. Louis soccer circles at that time, I'll be dating myself, but I'm okay with it because I feel good about that where I'm at right now. Um, You know, I was in high school with some of the legacy players that have pumped out of St. Louis at DeSmet. You know, my brother was playing at DeSmet. My classmates at St. Thomas Aquinas High School were the Hayes and the Malloys and the Greg Kellers. And, uh, you know, you could just go on and on and on about these amazing Olwigs and legacy players that were coming out of North County at the same time that my dad decided to sponsor and support what would go on to be a nationally recognized youth soccer club. So you can only imagine how formative those high school years were for me. It was unbelievable. Yeah, because those are back in the days um, where, you you know, all clubs were, in essence, community clubs, uh, from parish down to just a local community you know, um, and th- those are the days where you had a station wagon with a single lap belt across the whole back seat and threw four kids in the in, in the far back and five on the bench and yeah. two in the middle up front and off you went to your games, right? For sure. Crazy times if you think about that. Absolutely. And um, it was community. If you just think about that, it was who we were. It wasn't just what we did it was that becomes your friends they're still our friends today we can still tell those stories it was truly just community and um when i kind of look at where the club is now as you know um jb my dad has passed away recently and so i've done a lot of reflecting on how i've come back to scott gallagher now um more in his honor but when i look at our mission statement now and i look at the things that we're trying to accomplish as this big juggernaut uh, nationally recognized, probably North American recognized club, the simplicity of drilling it down to what it was then, it has not, it actually hasn't changed. Community, developing friendships, de- developing great, great players, but even better people. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, it's just amazing how so much changes, but nothing ever really does. So, so tell me a little bit about kind of the, the, the why in those early years, um, you, you had a sibling that was playing as well. Did you, did you play as a youth as well? Or were you like, not not. my thing, dad? No, I did not. I didn't. I was cheerleader, um, played a lot of tennis, cheered, you know, those years we've got great pictures of the rivalry between Scott, um, pardon me, Dismet and, and St. Thomas Aquinas and me cheering and my mom and dad kind of 
probably having their version of Kelsey, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Kelsey moments. Yeah. Are we cheering for just Matt? Are we cheering for, for Aquinas? Because the players were all there. But I, I never did um, actively involved. Obviously, we had that panel station wagon, went everywhere in that together. My dad also was really big on buses. Like, I think he felt like the club had arrived when he could afford to rent buses to go to the <laughs> national championships. So, I mean, we actually escalated and elevated. We leveled up, if you will, from the panel van to hopping in the buses. And there was nothing better for me than not having the pressure of ever being a player. And also keep in mind, JB, we started as a boys club. Right. It really wasn't until we rolled in, um, you know, Metro United was such a strong girls club, JB Marine, but it was, it was, early all boys so you know my options I played CYC sports at St. Norbert's played soccer but really the girls game for as strong as it is now it turned on a little later in the legacy there so 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 let me let me skip over to you uh Louie um we're going to jump around in time frame here a little bit because as you were growing up um obviously you would have been close to the game in an early age um you you saw what grandpa did started etc you know when you started playing at the youth level um did did you know what you were getting into you know it kind of like the enthusiasm and and the the leadership that 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 jim you know grandpa can i say grandpa jim right <laughs> that he had in 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 where in where you started how, how, did you did you think about that in hindsight and what it meant to you yeah, that's a good question. I, I think when at a really early age, it, it obviously wasn't um, as well known to me, I think. And I think that our family was very humble and, and it didn't necessarily show through. And I automatically just didn't go and play for Scott Gallagher right away. It was play for your your uh, school team and just your local CYC team, uh, whatever was whatever was available for you. Um, Obviously, as I got older, um, the, the relevance and importance of the family name um, in the Scott Gallagher Club became became more more prevalent. Um, when I was playing, I have a little bit of a, a unique situation in that our family actually moved to Cleveland for a little while. So my my formative years, as, as we call them, I actually spent playing soccer um, and going to school in Cleveland. But I moved back um, at the end of my sophomore year of high school, and that's really when my um, I guess you could call it my initial Scott Gallagher years kind of came into play. Um, and right. I joined our, our first team for my age right away. And that's when I think it really sunk in that this is my family club. All my uncles are involved. My mom is involved in, in various capacities. My grandpa comes to every possible event that he can. Um, and then obviously you just have everybody that is, as my mom mentioned that, um, loved and supported the club, and and we were um, we were quickly becoming a powerhouse when I was in high school. Um, we so, were, I think the the families had just as much fun as we did going on trips. But when we showed up uh, to an out of state event, everybody knew who we were, and I think that's when the the family name really kind of took hold. And and I was proud to to be one of the Scots on representing the team. So when you were out in Cleveland, did you talk a lot of smack about? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> your your original hometown? <laughs> uh, of course. Uh, I mean, I guess you go up to Cleveland and, and it wasn't a huge soccer community up there at the time. It, it has quickly grown. Um, but when I, whenever I said that I was from St. Louis and played in St. Louis, 
they everybody knew that St. Louis was a hotbed in the country for soccer. Um, and it was it was very special. And, and even people knowing what the Scott Gallagher club name was up there, um, us, the team that I played for, the Cleveland Internationals, we actually had to go play them um, in, in various tournaments. And, um, and I really think that that's when you kind of realize how special it was that that you are part of the, the team and the family. So, so regardless were, of being in a different state, were were you on the take? Did like Grandpa Jim like you know not Venmo at the time? He like mail you twenty bucks. <laughs> like, come on, you got to toss it. There may have been, I don't remember, and I'm not going to admit to anything. But no, I'm, I'm just kidding. We, we were always competitive, and it was always well. Fun. Your eligibility's long gone. Don't worry about it. You you can admit that's, to any improprietary right. right. actions. Right. Yeah. So I was trying to stay eligible. That's right. <laughs> so here's I I want to get into a little bit of the kind of the uh, the sports psychology of, of of families, right? That go through this process. You know, I think about my early years, uh, you know, five, four, five, six years old. I, I remember getting in those sta- station wagons and, you know, my dad was the coach and he had less than a minimal amount of experience in the game like most coaches at that time did throughout the region, uh, except for a few special cases, right? But uh, I, I always remember those car rides home. So, and, and, and I'm curious what your rides you know, looked like, felt like you, Julie, you know, as uh, the daughter that probably was tagged along to a lot of the events and the tournaments, et cetera. And, you know, um, and more importantly, I'm really interested in those post-game rides after a bad game. How how did, how, how did uh, dad handle that? And then what we'll do is once you you wrap up your answer, Louie, feel free to point out all of her hypocrisy in real time. All right. <laughs> Uh-oh. Yeah. I can put on notice. There you go. Well, I have the, I, I, I'll be a little bit of a buzzkill on that because I can tell you that not only did I have a great soccer dad, but Louie has an incredible soccer dad. Oh, there so you go. Um, I'll, I'll be, I'll be the, the, I'll give you the ending there. <laughs> but um, it, I do think that there's some significant differences. I'm actually really interested to hearing um, Louie's answer to that. You know, my brothers played soccer, so I absolutely was in the wagon, you know, listening to this. And there wasn't a lot of conversation. I think we are an internal processing family, and sometimes silence is good. And um, we also love food. We ate a lot. We would stop. We would always have a post-game meal. I do remember that, that we just would get off and you'd try to walk it off and do something. But I think that the interesting difference also was how many rides I had that were kind of back to those buses where my dad had 30 sons to navigate after a game. So you're coming back from national championships. You're coming back from regionals. You're on the bus and you know that there's 30 cars behind you of the parents. We wouldn't drive. We rode the bus, but you've just got this caravan of parents. I'd love to know what was going on in there, but I will tell you that Scotty was um, would start with the coaches and then he'd work his way down the aisle and he'd ask every child how they were, ask the boys how they were, what do you need, did you get something to eat, um, you know, is it warm enough? It was more just kind of working its way down and then he and my mom and, and us kids would just 
kind of um, buckle up for the ride. I think that he understood that letting people process the victory, you know, kind of that, um, JB, you're a, you're a father, you're, you're a Jesuit father, and Louis, you know, is a product of that, that humble in victory, noble in defeat type mentality that comes into the game. I think Scotty probably picked up on that early and, and checked people if they were being a little too cocky, but also just, you know, let people just exercise their own form of nobility in, in a defeat after a big game. And those memories are very fond. They aren't harsh. They aren't, um, people still tell stories about him today, uh, how he handled himself in public and private. Um, I'm super proud of that. I'm actually certain 100% that that has informed who we are as people as parents, as leaders at work, it's probably informed us watching that more than we realize the person yeah. over the player mentality, do, for sure. Do, do, let me ask both you guys this then, and then Louie, we'll get back to you and your experiences, uh, you know, uh, as well. But y- you telling the story in that, in that manner and, and describing the caravan of the parents following the bus you know, because we've had a number of guests on here, and we and we often get into the uh, uh, emotional uh, relationship between parents and the players, and the stress level and the expectations, and you know the proverbial car ride home and the Monday morning quarterbacks, all those all those typical cliches, right? But it just occurred to me that you know at this prime time in which the club was really starting to pick up significant momentum, not only locally but regionally, nationally, et cetera. How much of a factor do you think it was that there was so much of that time after both significant victories, significant losses, experiences together with the team in which the parents were kind of shut out? You know, that 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 hour, two hours up to a five hour ride from wherever, you know, do do you think that that potentially, you know, and and I'm I'm theorizing here, but, you know, it's almost like a, a nice little case study to to look into because. There was a lot of acceleration in player development during those years at your club in particular, Dad's club. Um, mm-hmm. Do you, do you believe that maybe because the parents had a cooling off period that that benefited all involved? Wow, it's such a testament to the insta world, the social world, where everything is immediate, 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 including feedback, pressure, comments, dissecting game. I think there's really something to be said for that. The closest, I'll fast forward um, to my most recent soccer experience would be Louis playing collegiate soccer. So that's the closest aligned to what you just said is that we as parents were never allowed on the Indiana bus. But Rod and I missed nothing. We went to every game. So we would wait in the tunnel. We're waiting for the boys to come out of the tunnel. Um, You know, you maybe get five minutes with them. You literally are hugging it out, win or loss. You're you're hugging it out. How are you? What do you need? I'll talk to you this weekend. And then what's happening on the bus? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, there probably was a cash grab, but that was from that was from dad for sure. it's so fascinating that you would ask that question because that is so amazing how that high level D1 um, program that's focused around exactly what you just said, we're going to let happen in here what happens and we're going to let, you know, what happens in the car or the plane on the way home happen. It's it's an interesting um, 
pressure that the kids probably are feeling way more these days. I'd actually love Louie's insight as the player on that. Yeah, because you might have missed us yeah, this game. I you don't know. know. Louie, you I mean you you kind of ran the gamut. You know, you started uh, early youth here, then you were, you spent those years in Cleveland, you came back at the uh, academy level competitively, you know, in the, in the high school years. And then obviously, as your mom already alluded to, and we were going to talk about that as well, uh, you know, a career Indiana University and beyond. Talk a little bit about the role that those uh, post-game, post-practice experiences, both uh, with parents and without parents, you know, what's what's your two cents on that, you know, in, in something that a soccer parent listening to this might glean an ounce of insight as to what they're really doing to their kid in that car for that 45-minute ride home? <laughs> no, I, I think that's a, a great topic. Um, I, I was... I'll say I was fortunate enough where um, Rod and Julie, I mean, they were they were fantastic soccer parents and just um, parents to an athlete overall. They, they were not pressuring. They were not um, pushing me. If uh, Whatever I wanted is kind of the route that they let me go. Um, after a game, after a practice, if it didn't go well, um, obviously they would they would ask questions and and try to help as much as possible. But I, I think it was more of just a, you know what, let's let's kind of take your mind off it for a little bit. This is not going anywhere. You, you're, you've got another chance tomorrow or later in the day, whatever it may be, to get better. Um, and, and that's it. And so from a, a young age, I, I really appreciated that. Um, I actually was a multi-sport athlete, so I, I could quickly kind of pick up and go straight from um, soccer to basketball or to, to baseball, whatever it was. And then right back into soccer and, and know what I had to get done. Um, and then obviously, yeah, at the college level, um, I, as Julie mentioned, that was obviously probably the most recent um, really strong interaction we had post games. Um, but yeah, I mean, they were always there waiting and, and they gave us plenty of time to just kind of digest what happened, whether win or lose before or sorry, after a game or maybe even a practice if they were there. And um, and I really appreciated that. And then what it was kind of my mentality, and I, I hope that kids do kind of take it um, the same way or at least similar to what how I tried. But um, you, you give everything you have on the field um, with your team. But then outside, I mean, you, you've got to kind of relax a little bit. Um, it, it's, it's not going away and nothing's getting taken from you by any means, but you, you have time to go back and and reflect and and do your best and, and get better as much as you can. So um, I leaned on Julie and Rod for kind of the the third uh, kind of third party outside of soccer things, and that's what I appreciated the most. Where um, even at Indiana, we would have a home game in Bloomington, Indiana, and Rod and or Julie would be there on on a midweek night uh, drive up from St. Louis, and it was just refreshing to see them talk about brother and sister, they asked about how school was going, and then they'd get back on the road. And and that just kind of took my mind off of things, especially after potentially a loss. And um, it, that actually kind of gave me more motivation, I think, than sitting there and harping over and over about what just happened and what went wrong. Um, and, and I yeah. appreciate that more than anything. So let me, let me ask you guys what you think about uh, today's environment, because obviously, you know, both of you, your whole lives, you've been around the game at the highest levels. Um, and we've been in circles, um, uh, you know, player circles, family circles, et cetera, uh, from academy down to recreational, CYC, et cetera. What, what's your take on today's kind of uh, environment in so much that the, the, the level of 
the training, the level of the competition, the level of the expectation, and all of those things that go into you know, a family unit and that child playing the sport and kind of the heightened expectations across the board. Um, You know, do you see that it is a more stressful environment? And if so, how would you address it? Or do you see that it's just more of an exciting and uh, fast-paced environment? How would you compare today to 10, 20, you know, 30 years ago? I I can speak to that too, even 40 years ago, really, sorry. Give me your guys' two cents on that, because it's not the same as it was <laughs> in short yeah. order. Um, I'll start, and then and Julie. Then I guess you can kind of kind of add in wherever. But my, I, I'm speaking from kind of personal experience right now because I actually still do some pretty specialized goalkeeper training um, here in Charleston for some high school players. Um, and so I do kind of see, see it firsthand, but obviously there is, I don't know if pressure is the right word, but there is more of a, uh, global, um, this global thought that you basically have to pick one thing and be the best you possibly can at it. And I I don't necessarily disagree with it, but I, I do see at times that maybe, um, you could get kind of pressed out of, of certain opportunities because you either go through a burnout or um, you're not fully in love with what you're doing, um, in love with the game. Um, There's a few kids that I work with who absolutely love the game of soccer and that's all they want to do. And, and, uh, and their parents are willing to give them just about any, any of the resources they need to, to make it as far as they possibly can. And I, I think that's fantastic um, because nowadays, especially with the way soccer is growing in the United States, um, the best of the best are becoming more and more. Um, whereas 10, 20 years ago, you might only have 10, 20 kids of, of a certain age group who could form kind of your your uh, ages national team, if you will. Now you have a pool of thousands of kids right. because of all the resources that are available to them. So. Um, I, I do think that it's changing and that kids are kids and parents, I guess, are changing as well. Um, however, my my only critique is that um, I found I've already mentioned this kind of with the multi-sport um, athlete is that being able to focus on some other things and not solely focusing on on one thing actually, I think, helped me as a soccer player, um, specifically as a goalkeeper, um, playing basketball in the offseason of soccer. I think helped me develop different hand-eye coordination, teamwork, um, and just learn kind of various different pieces of, of other sports that I actually then applied towards soccer. Um, and I thought that that was the most valuable thing for me, or one of the most valuable things. And then I'd go and improve my game uh, when, when the time came. It wasn't like I was having to, to work my butt off all year long just to try to stay ahead of the, uh, of the curve um but that was also a generational difference and and now that unfortunately some kids that that is kind of the case that you have to um put in as many hours as possible um in in order to to make it so um uh, julie i don't know if you have anything to add from from that but that that's my current experience and yeah um 
than what I'm well, seeing. What I love is that you brought your own personal experience in, but you also spoke now as a coach. You're developing high school players as a you're you're their college goalie development. You've had a lot of success there, so you've seen the pressure. You've seen what parents are willing to pay you hourly to for specialized training. You really have a window into all these different worlds. I actually was waiting for you to pull out a great basketball story of you and your college, your, your best friend and your college roommate, Will Bruin, going at it in basketball in high school. <laughs> so, you know, it, I, I love, I, I thought for sure you were going to talk about a few smackdowns there as a power forward, but uh, we'll give Will a little break there for was, sure. Was, uh, did Tim Kelly have a hand in pushing you to basketball in the off season there? <laughs> um, Yes, actually. Um, <laughs> I would say that he was a little bit of both, but Tim Kelly loved it. Actually, Tim Kelly would come to some of my basketball games. So, yeah. um, true. I, Very true. this is off topic, but I owe Tim Kelly, uh, and I've told him this in the past, but I owe him a lot for my, my soccer career. He was fantastic. And I'm, I'm super happy that he's moved on with St. Louis city and very excited for him, but yeah. sorry and, to go off the rails there. No, no, no. I'll go even more off the rails. Cause he is like a freak for sandwiches and hot dogs and all that. I like he's good. <laughs> Nachos. Nachos no. are a big thing. <laughs> so oh well, Ju Julie, let me give you a specific question. I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to leave this topic just yet because again, I think that there's uh, uh info to be gleaned for, from the parents in particular. Um, you, you having, uh, we, we've said it, you grew up with the game. You grew up in a household that was the game, right? Uh, with Louie going through what he went through, um, knowing kind of in those teen years, getting into the academy realm. And then, you know, when you started looking at the prospect of college and, and the reality started to set in that the, you know, his path is, is an elevated path, um, how did you manage that expectation as a parent? So, so as that, you know, were you one that kind of helped set the goal and work to the goal? Or were you more of a supporting role character that allowed the lead character, Louie, to kind of script his own story? How did you handle that? And, you know, what were some tips that, or what are some tips that you would throw out there? Mm-hmm. Great question. Um, first of all, you're a team. So I will say that oftentimes you have to remember that mom and dad bring different skill sets. And you have to have a lot of self-awareness to know what you can offer and where you probably just need to take your foot off the pedal and offer it up to the other parent. So I think we had very complementary skill sets when it came to this. I will say that uh, you're asking such great questions that you're, you're kind of bringing back some common themes of things that I think we often said. And not just with Louie, but you know, our daughter played college volleyball. Our youngest son, Charlie, um, just, you know, his baseball career was was outrageous. And I can picture us sitting on the edge of of beds, having the same conversation, whether it was whether it was Maria, Louie, or Charlie, and asking things like this. Is this still fun? Are you having fun? Baseball, volleyball, soccer, it is not who you are. It's something you do. But we are so many other things. I think I took the full formation of the human aspect when it came to that. I do think um, that it's important to say that Louis could have been an incredible college basketball player also. 
Um, I think he had choices. So just allowing him to make sure that he was following his own path and his own dreams, that was really, really important to me. And I think that probably him having that creative freedom to be able to make decisions of, yes, I'm going to stay with that or, or no, I'm going to shift in another direction. Um, Rod may have been a little bit more tactical, but I think that what I learned from my own dad was that the person always over, over the player that matters the first. So how are you? And is this still fun? Were common themes for all of the kids as they were going through the discernment process for moving forward. I also will say that Louis had a very, very unique situation and he can pop in and speak to it from his lived experience. But our move back to St. Louis from um, Cleveland happened during some really formative high school years. So we also were probably very hard on ourselves as parents. What are we doing to the kids? Are we messing them up? He's making big changes. It was, it was, those were unnerving times. And one of the biggest changes in St. Louis soccer circles that had happened at that time also was the beginning of having to make your decision if you're going to play club or you're going to play for your high school. So all of these institutional things that are happening around the game that are forcing the exact kind of decisions that Louis is saying as a young, formative 14, 15, 16 year old kid, now you have to make decisions. Um, it, it almost just feels like so much head trash right. that I don't even know how the kids are navigating this right now. And I don't want to speak for him, but you're parenting this. So I'll kind of leave Louis yeah. off to the side. But JB, you're dadding this right now. Well, it's funny because you 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 bring up the whole um, uh, academy versus uh, high school yeah, uh, options, right? You you know, in today's world, the kids that are at that level they have to choose. And so, my question to you, Louis, um, you know, what's your what's your gut gut answer, gut reaction to that mandate? Um, is it a value add? Is it positive? Is it uh, is it selective? You know, what, what's your thought on forcing these really, in essence, one percenters to choose exclusively, you know, that, that club environment or the high school experience? Yeah, I, I, uh, I think that's a tough question um, and one that a lot of families, I'm sure, are navigating um, every day um, with, with their kids and, and with the players, obviously. I, once again, I think it goes back to there's more and more resources out there now that the pool is growing. Your one percent is growing because right. soccer is growing, and and so you're to your point that there's not there's not this small pool of players anymore. It's a large pool. Uh, if if I had to give someone the advice that I knew could go on and play college soccer, I, I would probably say to go the academy route, um, just because you need to stay ahead of the curve. Um, that is not what I did. Um, but once again, that was because I, my experiences and, and the academy was just kind of coming along. It wasn't as relevant at the time. Um, and me, I wanted to just go play high school ball with my friends. Um, yeah. we, I went to Slough High so that we obviously had a, a very good soccer program at the time as well. We were, um, we were state, um, runners up in my senior year, but, um, who'd you lose to? We lost to. Don't worry, uh, I'll bleep it out if I need to. So, uh, we lost to what was it? Rockers? A Kansas, a Kansas Rockers. City team. Yeah, we lost to Rockers. All right. Well, thanks for joining us on this episode yeah. of uh, Soccer Dad Pod. <laughs>
We show oh, no love for Kansas City. I, can't even, I actually can't believe I even brought it back up. Um, but no, I mean, I, my experience is different than today. And, and my yeah. answer, my answer 15 years ago has probably changed um, to now. So well, it's funny because um, um, two weeks ago was the local derby, right? Between City and Gallagher. And um, yeah. they moved the game over to Creepcore Field so that people could attend. Um, and it was funny because my, my, my son played in the U15 game for city and they ended up winning and he came, came up, we met later that night. Cause I was out of town and I had to watch it on live stream of all things. And one of the things he mentioned, he's like, dad, there's just so many people there. And I'm like, yeah, that's like every high school game, <laughs> you know, kind of messing with him a little bit. And he understood what I was saying. And, you know, yeah. it's, and I think that the kids that are in this process, they do have to kind of balance that they have to think about. Uh, those experiences, um, but I think you really hit it on the head. You know, uh, your, your simplicity in your comment. You you need to stay ahead of the curve, and the reality is the academy programs, for the most part, have training coaches, staff, you know, uh, X's and O's that you know one level down, two levels down, especially just don't have. Yeah. So if the pathway is kind of that uh, upper level D1, or, well, frankly, even D2 and above. Um, yeah. You know, the academy programs just have a lot more tools in the tool chest, um, you know, that, that can't replace the human experience that the high school experience provides, yeah. uh, but yeah. it's a different type of experience. And I think that's where a lot of the parents that kind of debate and, and, and scowl upon, well, how can you not let a kid play in high school? I, I think that they were being a little short-sighted because all of us as parents, uh, you know, Julie, you, 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 I think you would agree. We make decisions based upon what we feel is not only best for our children, uh, but falls in line with a combination of what they're interested in and what we think their ability, uh, you, you know, where their threshold of success lies. And if you don't push them you know, down those paths and kind of, I feel shame on us um, because they're not kind of clipping, you know, uh, at the higher level. So that's my soapbox rant for the day. Uh, we will revisit, we will revisit your Kansas city embarrassment. Said oh. another day. <laughs> Here's just, a, do you mind if I put a little bow on what you just said there as we, as we kind of roll out of that topic? Sure. The, Louis may not know this, but um, I guess that I'm, I'm saying this more in closing for if there is a parent who is listening um, that to trust your kids we left that decision. Yes, everything you said, we were there for guidance. We knew what his talent and his God-given ability was. Um, but I, I will confess that um, on our own, away from him, we were saying to each other, every kid should play for their high school. Your girlfriend should be in the stands. Your buddy, the blue crew, should be painted blue cheering you on. We trusted him to make the right decision and we would have done whatever. But there was, I, I think that um, that was something that we wanted as much as he did. We'd had all those club years. You only get high school for such a short amount of time that the yeah. empath in me will say that seeing him be that you know, player. It was just, um, I think there's something that you'll, you'll never get that back. You'll never get that back. No, you know, and, and it's funny because, um, I 
had a conversation with uh, Beckett, my middle one, a little while back, and we were kind of talking about exactly those experiences. You know, when you you know the, a high school environment on a Friday night, and there's a thousand, two thousand people there, depending on you know the teams, right? Uh, versus going to a showcase, and you know the the sidelines are filled with, for the most part, you know seventy percent of the parents, um, a few extra friends here or there. But, you know, in those environments, these kids are walk, watching the clipboard toters walk around and on these uh, on these coats, they're seeing UNC, they're seeing IU, they're seeing Manu, they're seeing Porto and all these things because the environment is different. So like watching two scouts standing at the corner of the field with some European emblem crest in those kids mind, that's equal to 500 fans or, you know, or more. So it's just different. And, and this is where I allow, uh, uh, my son, you determine what you're, what you want out of it one and what you, what you gleam from the experience, you know, in a positive or negative light. And if it's negative light, let's figure out what is bugging you and, you know, let's make adjustments because at the end of the day, Louie, and I think you would agree the amount of choices that these kids that are capable have uh, at, at, at in a multitude of different clubs and levels, it's it's unparalleled. It's never mm-hmm. been like this. Yeah, agreed. Absolutely. So that's my second soapbox today. No more soapboxes from uh, JB here. <laughs> Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna roll us into a quick break, um, guys. We're gonna come back and we're gonna talk about an event that's near and dear to both of you, uh, the Living Legacy game coming up here on april 1st we're going to get into details so we're going to roll us out real quick don't go anywhere Uh, a little more sly in the family stone here ready hey everyone jb here with soccer dad pod this break is intended to be both informative and an opportunity little did you know that we are accepting sponsors really and as a sponsor of the show you would get to talk to a demographic primarily consisting of parents, some soccer fans, and most definitely drinkers. Consider this an opportunity to let our listeners and social media followers know what it is you do and why you deserve some of their money. If interested in this incredible opportunity, just email us at soccerdadpod at gaslightstl.com. Now, Back to the mindless banter. Hello, people. We're back. On the road again. Got a little Willie bringing us back in here. And there's a reason, because I've heard stories about the Jim Scott. Um, not only do we mention it in the first half of the show here, his uh, uh, love affair with buses, taking teams around the country, doing that thing. I mean, every all of us have been there. I mean, especially if you're in a Midwest competitive team, you're all over the place on the road, right? But little known fact, uh, Julie, maybe you can just jump in with the uh, finish the answer here. Uh, not only was Jim obviously a great family man, lover of soccer, but one of his passions included six-stringed in- instruments, correct? Absolutely. Long before soccer, we knew Scotty as a musician. 
actually a prolific record like award-winning banjo player so i love that you picked a little country music to come back in uh, you... but could play a guitar could play a stand-up bass little known fact unless you're from north county after the soccer club was formed we actually opened a bar <laughs> scott gallagher's and it backed up to saint sabina parish my mom ran the kitchen but the sole purpose of Scott Gallagher's was to have a place for our families and our teams to gather on tournament weekends after the games and his band played music after on the weekends. Us kids were slinging drinks. I mean, this is illegal awesome. now. We were behind the bar and my dad would it's say. It's not illegal. Why? It's just frowned upon a little bit. You know, it's all good. Yeah. Fact check me on that. But, I mean, like we were, my mom's in the kitchen on Lenten Fridays, frying fish, making these salads. Teams would roll in after games. My dad's setting up the stage because we are just going to listen to, it's going to be a palooza. We're going to oh, have yeah. music. But there were TVs all around this tiny little bar in Melanthe Square, right there by St. Sabina. And so us kids would be behind the bar just bringing out drinks. I mean, it was yeah. the perfect union of his loves. And um, and so it's funny that you went there because, JB, you also were really instrumental in helping us organize one of our first big family fundraisers around Living Legacy, which was the Jim Scott Music Festival. And I still hope to bring that back someday. It was the perfect way to honor the, the two, well, we'll say three, you led with family, of course. But, yeah. um, oh, my gosh, his passions, you crushed it right there. Well, so I, I, you telling that story is a complete flashback. Like I'm, I'm going to have to go back to therapy because I was a cocktail waitress at the local Amvets pub for my parents at the age of six. Um, Dime. Let's see. It was a dime pool table and a dime jukebox. And Jay Giles flashback song was like a seven. And I'll never forget that. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, so boy. those early years, all, all the teams, I, I mean, it, it, this goes back to the, the difference between super clubs today and community clubs back then, you know, back then, realistically, find a club that wasn't associated with a VFW or an Eagles or right. something like that, because it was, everything was just kind of like a mushroom off of something in the backyard. And yeah. it's just, it's never going to be that way again. And I understand why. But yeah, man, that but was JB, cool. Don't you think that that's why Friday Night Lights and mm-hmm. Scott Gallagher is so popular right Absolutely. now? It is packed. It's a family environment. Tailgates are set up. Lawn chairs are out there. Soccer is secondary. I think people are starving for that. I don't think people ever stop starving for it. But Friday Night Lights is a one of one for us as a club. Yeah. And people are just eating it. They're joining the club because of Friday Night Lights. Yeah, no, I mean, I've never seen a larger congregation of uh, soccer moms with hoodies and tumblers that I'm sure have water in them. You know, so... <laughs> <laughs> well, let's Funny. let's move into. You mentioned it just a little while ago. Um, Living Legacy, uh, the Living Legacy Foundation is um, a foundation that is uh, operated by the club St. Louis Scott Gallagher. Um, and what you know what I'm I'm going to do it harm. Tell us what is the Living Legacy Foundation and who does it benefit? Oh, I love it. 
Well, our whole organization, Scott Gallagher, St. Louis Scott Gallagher, is a 501c3. I think that's something that is important for people to realize that we are not unlike a lot of other youth development clubs. We operate as a nonprofit. And we, because of that, have a mission and we have a purpose. We have shield values that we, we hope to live. And many of those are focused as much on our community and on our families and our players as they are on the game itself. So if you take the Scott Gallagher Foundation out of, uh, you know, set that aside, because that's more the operational right. 501c3, um, running the fields, running facilities, all of that. It became really, really important for us that our children realize how blessed they are as players. And oftentimes, just because of the zip code that you're born in or the circumstances that you arrived on this earth, you may have the ability to play for this club or you may not. So about 15 years ago, we formed what's called the Living Legacy Foundation. And it is a separate philanthropic arm of St. Louis Scott Gallagher. And really, the, the easiest way to put it is that Living Legacy is an endowment fund. And what we've realized as soccer fees and the pressures and all of the things that you and Louie have been talking about from a resource standpoint, none of those are free. And this is a luxury sport like most select sports are. And we realized that we were finding ourselves with some deserving players who had talent they had abilities, um, they had so many gifts to be able to play the game, but maybe financial circumstances might have put them in a position that they couldn't join the club or they couldn't stay with the club. So we formed a scholarship recall that, that is referred to as the Living Legacy. And every year, 50 players will be awarded a scholarship to play it's either a partial or a full scholarship to be able to play the game that they love and grow their skills, grow their talents in the name of one of the 15 Living Legacy honorees from our club who have passed away. So it's, it's really a neat union of honoring people who were affiliated with Scott Gallagher who lost their lives and keeping their name and their honor present for our club and then allowing students to actually earn a scholarship that you have these kids that are playing for the club in the name of someone who is no longer here. It's just a perfect union of service. Yeah. So if, 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 if you are listening, I will be sure to have the link to the Living Legacy Fund um, in all the social posts. So um, be sure, be, give it a click. Even if, you know, look, we spend stupid money on a beer and a hot dog at Bush Stadium, uh, you know, 10 bucks for uh, soccer endowment. It'll make you feel good. And then go get a $5 can from the fridge so mm -hmm. <laughs> save you thank some you money um thank you for that yeah no for sure um yeah, let's I, I this kind of is a parallel subject not specific to living legacy fund but really more of a uh kind of a, a global debate um you know louis let me ask your opinion because you've you've been close to uh and participated in really the highest levels of the game uh, you know we know what's going on in europe um things like the living legacy fund um, are really a first step, a large first step in trying to get to a point where the game should be free. The game should be two kids in communities because everywhere else in the world, 
let's not kid ourselves. You you know, you go to Berlin, you go to Rome, you go, you go, you know, to Wrexham, right? The kids that live in those communities that end up funneling into the largest clubs, they don't pay. So how does it make you feel that your family is so close to this uh, org, this fund, in an attempt to try and bridge that gap uh, that we here in America really kind of seem to fail at? Yeah, no, I think it's amazing. Um, I, I mean, as you mentioned, I mean, soccer is, it, it should be, and really is kind of the, the most accessible game there is. I mean, all you need is just a little field of grass and, and a ball, really, that's that's it. I mean, you see on social media um, all around the world, kids playing um, just in an open field or in an open area of dirt or on concrete and um, anybody can play. Uh, it really is the case. And the fact that um, not everyone has the, the same um, accessibility to the highest level or to maybe the next level um, is unfortunate. Um, and, and as Julie kind of mentioned, I mean, there are some means out there that you could accelerate on, but, but this is the Living Legacy Foundation is fantastic, specifically for the area of St. Louis, uh, because there's so many, there are so many kids out there who are talented enough to play um, at the highest level um, who may just not have the opportunity to do so. Um, so for our family and, and everybody in the Scott Gallagher community to to be on board and, and help out as much as possible and, and all St. Louisans, um, I think it's amazing. Um, yeah. you, always, you always want there to be the best talent showcased uh, regardless of financial status or um, accessibility to, to certain resources. And, and this is just one way to hopefully uh, bring some of those players to light. So let's talk about the game coming up then. Uh, because we've got, uh, you guys have put together, Julie, you're obviously working, you know, neck deep in the Living Legacy uh, Foundation game. Um, it's a throwback. It's a preseason throwback uh, versus two powerhouses. Historic rivals, right? Uh, they both have a tremendous connection to St. Louis. Uh, we've got on the first, it will be three o'clock in the afternoon, correct? Correct. At, at St. Louis Soccer Park. We got Indiana University versus uh, SLU. Um, so after last year's game, because last year was the first game. Um, it was. Number one, what did you guys think You know, when you knew the first game was going to occur? And now, how do you feel that this thing is turning into you know, another kind of a annual rivalry? How, how, how do you feel about the game itself? Yeah, I can't wait to have Louis, you know, hop in here to talk about his alma mater coming to town. I see it as the second of many. I mean, I think that this is uh, could be a truly a legacy event um, to a play on words there. But what is the most touching for me last year over this year is that that was kind of a pilot. It was a it was a, a, a you know a, a first. Let let's just see about bringing these two teams together and what can we do for the greater good. What I think is really important to keep in mind also is the link to St. Louis youth soccer that both of these teams have. Like why SLU and why Indiana? And why do we want it to keep those two schools? Well, number one, back to the premise of Living Legacy, we're honoring those who are no longer here. So Indiana assistant coach, father, you know, um, Robeson was just inducted into our Living Legacy after he passed away. Kevin Kalish, his father, Pat, just inducted. Louis' grandpa, my father, Scotty, is a Living Legacy honoree. 
Then when you look at the program, so you already have these intimate family connections just mm -hmm. through the living legacy, but all these players on both sides, they are pipelines at these two colleges up through Scott Gallagher. It's funny for me to hear Todd Yegley talking about that he played for Scott Gallagher. I think it was a half a game. You know, his story last year was hilarious and Kalish was busting his chops like, really? But, you know, he was searching to be able to tell his own personal Scott Gallagher story because it means so much to him. And he counts on the pipeline of not just great players, amazing families. You're not going to get have trouble with the families. You're never going to have trouble with the kids. You know what you're getting out of a quality club. And for us to be honored, the future players with these two schools, it's like the moons have aligned for this to just become almost our signature event. Does that does that even make sense? Yeah, I see that. And I see Louis sitting there just kind of like thinking in his head, we're going to pound him anyway, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Louis, That's true. <laughs> you know, Louis, I mean, obviously, um, you, you've got a, a little bit of a uh, skin in the game on, on, on the game itself, being an alum. Um, you know, when you when you look at these two teams and you look at uh, the staff and 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 then you see these rosters and the presence that uh, the three one four has uh, on both programs, you know, it, when you talk to your regional national peers, you know, it, and you think of a game like that and you think of how powerful St. Louis is, how how arrogant do you get in in laying it out? I mean, how how do you not right? Yeah, the, the 314 has a huge presence in both schools. And I'll, I'll tell you right now, there is a massive rivalry between the two schools, um, whether you're from St. Louis or not. Um, I, I think that's built because of all the St. Louis connections that have come up through the years. Um, I, I'm speaking personally from the Indiana experience, but um, I mean, we at any given point at, at IU, you could have five or six players, if not more, um, not only from St. Louis, but from the St. Louis Scott Gallagher pipeline. Um, right. For for example, my year um, when I got recruited, my freshman year, there were four of us on the same Scott Gallagher team the same year who all went to Indiana together. Um, it was it was Will Bruin, Tommy Meyer, and then Chris Hafner um, and myself. We all went together. We chose there to go together. Uh, we got recruited all by by. Um, by uh, the staff at IU together, and we all played for Todd Yeagley, and it was fantastic. And we were not the only four St. Louis players on the team at the time. Um, I mean, I still see every year um, new Scott Gallagher or new St. Louis players coming in and, and signing with Indiana. Um, I actually remember Todd, it was probably my junior year, he said, you know, we recruit very heavy in Indiana just to, to keep the, the players close. <laughs> and and, and you first, said from where? But, but he, yeah. <laughs> but then he said our first our first look outside of the state is always St. Louis. He goes, oh, yeah. that's where we're going first. Um, and that's that's obviously great to hear. And, and that, that's been going on for 30 plus years at, at IU, maybe even longer. Um, so it, there is the rivalry for sure. And, and it will be a rivalry for a long time. Yeah, it's it's really kind of like, uh, you know, I'm going to extrapolate off of e even just your lived experience on that team in the pipeline of other 314 players. Um, I, I, and let me just point out something. I got I got an email a little earlier today. Ken Godat, right? Mm -hmm. uh, IU alum, St. Louis, my neighbor. Mm -hmm. uh, he sent out a notice, uh, kind of an update on the on the team, the academy. 
And and I love what he's doing here because, you know, I, and I think the club historically did an okay job of cheerleading or advocating its its players because it was it was almost easy. I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, the club has produced so many high level players. You tend to become a little numb to it, except for the families and except for you know those that are doing it. But here we are back kind of in full swing and Ken is really kind of glamped on to, you know, let's 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 show more pride to the marketplace. And and here's where I'm going with this. Uh, he talks a little bit about, you know, the upcoming or the academy teams over the weekend. They did X, Y, and Z, and they were all wins versus Chicago Fire, Indy Fire, Indy Fire. But then he's like, I want to highlight some individual successes from five of our upcoming Youth Academy alum. He mentions Alex Junk, Cruz Gonzalez, Tyson Pierce, Caden Glover, and Miggy Perez. You know, the first two are 09s that were called up to the national team pool. Uh, the last three are all home, you know, over at City uh, on the A team and the City 2 team. And, and then this is what I wanted, where I wanted to go with this. Lastly, I want to, and I'm reading, quote, lastly, I want to highlight some SLSG alumni starters from this past weekend's MLS season kickoff, all of whom grew up in SLSG from very young ages. Jack Maher, Nashville, Patrick Schulte, Columbus, Tom Barlow, New York, Kip Keller, Austin, Joe Willis, Nashville, Will Bruin, Austin, Daniel Muni, San Jose. This is not just people from the same town. They're from the same club. Find Mm -hmm. another club anywhere in the country that does the same thing at that mm-hmm. level consistently. It's, it's really kind of amazing. And, you know, there's another soapbox. Sorry, listener. Yeah, thank you. Might, might I add that half that list you just listed off went to IU. Um, just wanted to throw I would, it out I would expect <laughs> I would expect nothing less. Um, so, <laughs> no, I think it's great because I think, you know, full circle here, guys, what I really want to point out is uh, thanks to Julie, your dad, and what he started way back in the day, and kind of those, you know, whether he realized it or not, implementing those shield values on in the station wagon to the bus, you know, as a parent to these other kids, et cetera, et cetera. And over the years, you know, all, in spite of all the uh, consolidation and the reorganization and everything that has occurred within the the scene, it's all stuck. It's all about, you know, quality coaches, quality training, just be good people. If you have good people in a big circle you know, they thrive off each other and, and the end result is phenomenal. And now you've got the Living Legacy uh, Fund that will raise a lot of money, will put on a great game. I mean, you guys are probably going to have, if I were to guess, 1,500, 2,000 people there minimum, if not more. Yeah, um, it's amazing. It's a college showcase weekend for us. So the fields will be happy oh, with a prime re- audience yeah, anyway. So, to so I'm way short. To aspirational schools. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's going to be terrific. So, uh, April 1st, go check the game out. Um, guys, I really appreciate all your time. Um, if I missed anything, please, you know, you throw it out there, Julie. I know you, you, you're much more organized than I, when we grab coffee to talk about these things, you've got a punch list. So if I missed anything on your punch list, please toss it out. I love it. (laughs) My only regret is that we don't have visual that we're only audio because I want to show you what I found for this. Well, what I'll do is, uh, I'll take a. Oh, there we go. Do you know that there. we wore these jackets? Hold on, hold that United up. United States Championship, Scott Gallagher, right. 
under 19. This is the 1981 first national championship. We looked like band camp. Our family wore these everywhere. We looked like the biggest nerds. And we all had them on wearing these to like the St. Louis steamer games. I don't know who we thought we were, but clearly we thought we were the shit. Well, uh, I believe that logo and that, that needs to be a T. A T-shirt needs to be sold you know, at the store. I will I post. I tell you what, I took a picture of people that are uh, listening. Take a look. I'll put it on our page. Um, awesome. Guys, I really appreciate all your time. Um, you know, Louis, best of luck out on the East Coast, um, you know, in your endeavors. And are, are you coming back for the game, I'm assuming? I will be there. I'll be there for the, the long weekend, all the festivities. Right on. Julie, thank you for your time. Um, looking forward to the other guests so that we can kind of bring in all these other stories uh, for the upcoming game. Um, guys, thank you for your time. And listeners, thank you for making it this far, all four of you. Um, so <laughs> I'm going to roll us out here with a little Willie. Uh, give us a follow. Uh, we're on all the usual suspect uh, platforms, Spotify, Apple, etc. cetera. Uh, again, reviews are much appreciated. Um, thank you guys. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you.